0: Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I think this is not talked about enough. Then menstruation, ovulation, it's a brain down phenomenon. The way the pill works, it's brain phenomenon. That's where it's working in your brain. Whenever doctors are like, it can't be affecting your mood. I'm like, but everything's happening in the brain. Like, I don't understand. The same with your adrenal glands. And to understand that Even the way you think and talk to yourself can be a stressor and can be inflammatory. And if it's inflammatory and it raises cytokines, that demands a response by your adrenal glands. People so often are like, cortisol is so bad, it gives you belly fat, it ages you prematurely. That sucks, nobody wants that. And yet, it is keeping inflammation in check. Hello, hello, I'm your host for
1: today, Dr. Carrie Jones. And I am so excited to talk with my friend, colleague, and absolute powerhouse of women's health educator, Dr. Jolene Brighton. She's a board certified naturopathic endocrinologist, clinical sexologist, and as I said, prominent leader in women's medicine. She's authored several books, including the one we're going to talk about today. Is this normal? Judgment-free straight talk about your body. You have questions about hormones, your body and sex, and she has answers. Before we get started, though, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course, are supplements. There is a lot of confusion around supplements and you only wanna take the best quality that uses top tier certified manufacturers and most importantly, do third party independent testing to make sure what's on the label is in the capsule. That's why I've teamed up with New Ethics Formulations as their Chief Medical Officer. The team already had a strong history in the supplement world but started the company to really focus on bettering your health and helping to enhance your physique or performance goals. I'm excited to help them continue to focus on the endocrine system and hormones as it relates to glucose, thyroid, estrogen, and even your gut microbiome. Right now, you can get 20% off one order using code Dr. Jones 20 at newethics.com. That's Jones 20 at newethics.com today. Now, let's get on with the show. Dr. Jolene Brighton, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Girl, I am so excited to have you on because I have known you for years. We have been friends. Obviously, I've read all your books, and I think everyone listening is just going to get an absolute kick out of hearing how you explain hormones your new book, and just all the things
0: as it relates to sex and the bodily functions. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I just had this really crazy thought. If everyone doesn't know, Dr. Carrie Jones was my fertility instructor way back. God, that's so long ago. I remember being a, a young doc and being like, I can't wait until I have 10 years under my belt. And now I'm like, ah, God, <laughs> you know I'm the only <laughs> now. Anyhow, back in the day, and it's everybody who knows who follows me on Instagram. I started my period this morning. I have to go see my fertility doctor about possibly starting another round of egg retrieval tomorrow. And I'm like, this is so interesting that here I am talking to you about all of this. And if people don't know the whole story, just by the way, healthy pregnancy, had a son at 40, and then found myself in fertile secondary infertility at 41 and repeat miscarriages. On YouTube, I go through the whole story of why I'm in IVF because I think it shocks people sometimes when they're like, <gasps> Oh my God, but you're like a natural doctor. And I'm like, that's why IVF isn't kicking my ass and why my period just showed up. And I'm like, huh, it's nothing, no pain. And recovery is easier than it is for most. And that is because I know all the natural steps to help your body, to process hormones. Anyhow, we're going to talk about other stuff today. But <laughs> as you were saying that, I'm just like, whoa. What a crazy full circle moment. I just feel like the universe is such a trip in the way it works out that way. Like here I am talking to the person who taught me fertility so long ago and the things that I use through what I learned from you, my clinical experience, the research to get pregnant and have naturally conceive in my 40s. And then now here I am. <laughs> doing IVF. I never thought I'd find myself here, but I'm so glad I know what I know. And just by the way, if you guys don't follow Dr. Gary Jones already on Instagram, all of the male factor IVF stuff is the stuff that no IVF doctor talks to you about. You don't talk about the IVF so much as just nail factor infertility. And the number of times that people are like, my doctor didn't even talk to me about that. I'm like, my husband was so proud of his sperm. So many women that are on this journey tell me like, oh yeah, the doctor was like, your sperm's good enough. And my husband's like, fine, it's good enough. And I'm like... Why would they want to be good enough? My husband was like, I have elite sperm. He was so (laughs) ecstatic. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm shoving vitamin C and zinc and CoQ10 and all of these things at you. (laughs) If you are listening and you haven't
1: figured it out already, this is why people love Dr. Brighton, because she will share everything with you. She will take you on the journey. And she's not afraid to get down and dirty in the weeds and answer all your questions. If you follow her, she is going through this fertility journey. But... One of the big reasons I'm having her on, she has this new book out called Is This Normal? Is This Normal? Judgment Free, Straight Talk About Your Body. Dr. Brighton is a hormone expert, a sex expert, and she's not afraid to go there. You'll see it in her Instagram, on her blogs, in her YouTube, in the comments when people ask really serious, maybe considered embarrassing questions. And I always go through comments. Sometimes I'm going through your comments, and I have the same feeling over and over, just as you just said with fertility and your doctors coming at you, there's so many women who just don't know. Nobody told them, not nobody from their family, maybe to the the older women or sisters in their lives, to their doctor, nobody taught them in school,
0: which I'm assuming is why you wrote the book. Hey, you hang out on social media. I think you see what I see. We've heard it from patients over the years, and it's really the amazing aspect of social media is that instead of having 10, 15 touch points with individuals in the day, There's more like 10,000, 150,000 touch points happening and coming through. And it is something that is so universal and so glaring that one, no one ever got taught about their bodies, about what is normal, what isn't normal. And a lot of us, and I say us because I've been there too, are experiencing gaslighting from our doctors, are being told that you're just getting old, you just had a baby. This is just how it is. You were gifted in the lottery of life, these ovaries, which means you should have two weeks of hell, six months out of your life, should just be completely wrecked, and that is normal. And by the way, the only option is go on birth control, get a hysterectomy, be numbed out and medicated in a way that you can't feel your emotions. And to all of that, I say, it's super great that we have all of these options available, and sometimes we need them, and yet... We should always ask the name of this podcast, what is the root cause and what's going on? Because you can manage symptoms, you can use medications, you can go through surgeries, you can do all of these things, but you should always be asking the question of like, where is this really born out of? Because even if we go, for example, with fibroids that I talk about the book in the book, if we cut out a fibroid, you're going to likely have it come back if you don't change anything about the nutrition and the lifestyle factors that were contributing to that. And that gets missed so often in doctor's offices. But I think writing this book during the pandemic, when I was writing this book, I had my baby, I was wearing him on the front of me, like writing this book on a treadmill desk and just seeing how many people were really waking up to the reality that there is no one coming to save you. You have to take care of your own health. And it took, unfortunately, a pandemic for people to realize that, you know what, I have to take personal responsibility here and all of this. But that left so many people lost with even like, where do I start? And what is normal? When I wrote this book, going through it, I'm like, God, I really wish this is something that I had when I was younger. I wrote the book with the intention that you read it as an adult, but it's a book that you pass down. If you have a daughter, you pass to a sister, you pass to a friend, but that you also start to own this expertise so that you can have these conversations.
1: I feel that is critically important what you said just there. I own the book and I actually went and bought a book. My goddaughter is turning 15 in October. My best friend is also a naturopathic doctor, gave it to her, said, hey, you read it first. See if the 15 is good for the 15 year old. She's like, Yep, absolutely. These are all the conversations we have. Great resource. My stepdaughter is 21. I was like, I'm getting you a book. (laughs) Sorry, I know you're 21 and some of these things you know, but I know a lot of these things you don't know. And one of the words you said earlier was to understand what's normal. And I love that because a lot of the times, especially on your social media and in this book, you talk about the difference between common, which is Oh, that's common. Women get that all the time. That's expected versus normal. And can you talk about that as you went through the process of writing this, how often you came up against common versus normal? You know,
0: what's so interesting to me is that, first I'll say, doctors see what is common for people to go to the doctor to get help with. Who does the doctor see? Somebody who needs help. Somebody who feels like they need fixing, otherwise they wouldn't be there. I think through that clinical experience, doctors start to adopt the mindset, that must just be normal. And doctors are also told this in medical school. And we know that the traditional medical school, they don't necessarily spend a whole lot of time on certain women's issues unless you're specializing and you're focusing on women's health. But what I found was interesting is how often Gen Z on TikTok would come in and say, I'd say period pain is common, period pain's not normal. If your period pain makes you vomit, if it makes it so that you are dependent on a heating pad, a hot water bottle or popping Midol, that is not normal. If you cannot enjoy your activities of daily living, if you can't even go to the grocery and buy food, if you have to reschedule and redo all of your plans because of pain, these things are not normal. How many comments I got from Gen Z saying, everybody's pain tolerance is different, that is normal. It is normal to have this. And I'm like, oh, snap. These are all the kids who are just indoctrinated from the poor sex education, which the United States is like subpar when it comes to sex ed. Don't worry, United States, UK is also subpar. So you've got a bestie in that arena. But these are all the people who are just coming out of that dogma that we are taught in high school sex education. And for them to be embracing that and adopting that. And it really was this light bulb moment of like, wow. This is why I get women in their 30s being like, wait a minute, this can't be right. I think about my journey with birth control and it's like for three years, I had excruciating, long, painful periods And then I went on the pill for 10 years and I had no period. (laughs) And then I came off and I had no period again. And then it came back with a vengeance. And it wasn't until being at that stage of my life, like in my late 20s, being like, wait a minute here. And my doctor's like, you just probably have PCOS. You need to go on the pill. I'm like, what do you mean probably have PCOS? Like, I can't have clockwork periods from the day I got them. And then I have PCOS. What are you talking about? It took me at that stage of my life to be like, wait a minute. I just don't want to medicate this away. I want to just actually understand what is going on. And I think that's true for a lot of people's journeys is that you come through what some people call the Saturn return. And that's when you're like, wait a minute, everyone's been telling me stories and I've been inserting them into the chapters of my life and being like, that must be how the book goes. And now I'm realizing that I get to write the book. I determine the book. And in reality, I think it isn't until our 40s, a lot of women wake up to the fact that nobody gave you a damn user manual on how to go through your life and how to do all of this. And now you're going through perimenopause and you're bumped up with a doctor again, being like, that's just the way it is. Just wait till menopause. It's going to be worse. And that's what I talk about in the book is all of these issues that you shouldn't just have to suffer with, just deal with and be able to understand your body, what's your normal and what works for you so that you can build that user manual. I love that. And especially
1: because on your platform, you give permission for women to tell their story all the time. I see you write it in the comments all the time. And that is not something that women have had the opportunity to do. Even if you are listening to this and you're thinking, yes, that was me. I had horrible, severe 10 out of 10 cramps. I had bled through tampons and pads every hour. And they just told me, well, that's what happens. It was for a woman. That's what happens after you have kids. That's what happens, that's to be expected. And if you just get told that and shut down and you don't talk to anyone else about it, how would you know? If you were raised in a family where it was embarrassing to talk about these things, to know what's normal as opposed to what's really not healthy, how would you know? When you write your story, even if you're listening to this and you're 16 years old, I want you to really question, like, man, this hurts, or this is heavy, or this is uncomfortable, or this isn't working for me, or this, I am really sad. It may be common, but it's not normal. And that's what Dr. Brighton is here, especially with this book as a resource to answer these questions. Now, we're talking about questions that maybe aren't, quote unquote, as embarrassing, like, well, how heavy does it have to be for the period? Or how bad are the cramps? She dives right in, and in the early chapters, right in on sex.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're doing a warm-up for y'all today. It
1: just goes into it. And then she has a whole chapter on anatomy, like, what's normal? What's normal, quote-unquote, down there? What are boob sizes and boob shapes and nipple shapes? What's considered normal? Is it normal if they're two different shapes? I just love that because I know, as another practitioner, you're probably getting those questions 100-plus times a day and thought, all right, there's a major disservice in the medical education out there And I'm going to put it into this book.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that. But to your point about sharing stories, sharing your story is one of the most healing things that you can do. Especially, I take great care to moderate the comments around that. And I think people pretty much know that I have a zero tolerance if you're going to come in and shame, blame, hate on somebody. You don't belong here. Because you never know when you share your story how it's going to change you, how it's going to move you out, move this tension, this stress out of your body. But you also never know Who is going to hear that story and be inspired and for the first time understand that healing is possible because they've been telling that healing is not possible from lots of people or nobody's talking about it like you said. The other thing is if you saw how many medical doctors I have to moderate out of those comments because how often a medical doctor will come in and say No, you are like, your PCOS problems is because you're being lazy. And if you put down the fork, then you wouldn't have PCOS. And I'm like, are we still doing this in 2023? And I had to just be like, block. There was an endocrinologist that got through and I didn't see. And usually I just delete these comments because it's not worth like bring, hashing out the trauma in the comment section for people to relive. And this one got by and I hadn't seen it. They did sneak attack late at night. And <laughs> so I didn't see it. And then I had DMs from people being so upset because. I had said just along the lines that the birth control pill is not the only option for PCOS. It may be a necessary tool in your treatment, but people should be talking to you about diet and lifestyle because there's this inflammatory and insulin resistance component and there's heart disease and diabetes and all this stuff that a lot of times doctors are like, we'll wait until you get it and then we'll just deal with it then. And this endocrinologist said, all of your followers are a bunch of Karens. You don't understand how lazy patients are and you tell them this stuff and they don't do it and you act. Like there's a one size fits all for PCOS. And the literally the caption was like, there's no one size fits all for PCOS. And I was like, okay, excuse me, this is not what I'm saying. And I was just like, it's obvious that you're really angry. And I would recommend mental health support or somebody else's platform because this is not the place for that. But the fact that she was like, I'm a great doctor, but all of your followers are Karens and horrible people. And I'm like, you're not. Because you are who you are. Like, if you are okay doing this on social media, then you're okay doing this in your office. I just want to say to people, it is important to share your story. And if you've ever bumped up against Doctors, I don't know if you saw that study, but I love psychology studies because there's all these doctors out there that will be like, I can attack this person because it's in the name of misinformation and I'm trying to stop misinformation. Not even kidding you, Carrie. I saw in my feed was this doctor, and he was slamming this person who was a cancer patient, talking about their experience with cancer. But he was like, Oh, let's see what this influencer has to say and dragging her. And he was like, I have to do this, protect people against misinformation. And I was like. Something seriously wrong with you? Are you okay? Anyhow, this study came out showing that when people are dragging other people, being negative, doing all of that with misinformation being like, I'm doing this to save, that's not why. They're not trying to save you. It's actually for their own ego. And I just love that the research was done. And I'm like, well, here's all the people that are like, this is, I only use evidence-based medicine and I'm stopping misinformation. It's like, yeah, but the way you're doing it has been shown in the evidence to be super freaking toxic and more about your ego and more about you wanting to put people in their place and remind patients that they're beneath you. And that is what you're trying to do in your little white coat going on social media, being like, all these people are bad people. You're really saying, I'm insecure and I would like you to know you're beneath me if nobody told you today. That is a bit of a tangent for people just to understand that it is okay to share your story and it is not okay for doctors to act unethical in the way that they treat you. But back to the sex part.
1: (laughs) Before we get there, I wanted to add one thing because you do say this. It's also okay to find a different practitioner and it's also okay to add practitioners to your practitioner care team. If you like your OBGYN, because they do a great PAP, that your once a year physical is like spot on, fantastic, keep that person. But if they're not great at letting you tell your story, hearing your story, or they're not really, maybe PCOS isn't their thing, or um, the birth control is the only thing they're recommending and you're trying to, in the name of your book, go beyond that, yeah. beyond the pill, <laughs> then your her other book, it's okay to go, thank you for that information, and I'm gonna go find somebody else.
0: Totally. And it doesn't mean that your doctor is a bad person That because they can't give you the answers that you're looking for. I actually saw Nat Geo did this oh, recently yes. about birth control. Everyone's like, please comment on it. And I was like, let me get through my luteal phase. <laughs> I'm back around. I just saw it this morning. I want to honor their attempt at trying to be balanced because I think that they really did try to do that. I think they fell short in this. When I saw the comments... So many people were like, this is just more doctors basically talking down to us and the patient not having a voice in it and the patient being told because the research isn't there, your experience is not true. And I'm like, yeah, you know how many times they've told women that about birth control over the ages. And then it turns out that we should just believe women. And also that not every drug is going to affect every person in the same exact way. We need to honor the individual experience. But something that really irked me about that article was at the end when they're like, oh, pregnancy is a bigger risk because the maternal mortality rate in the U.S. is rising. Basically, if you get pregnant in the U.S., you are at a higher rate of dying than any other developed nation. Therefore, that's why the pill is so great. And I'm like, can we talk about the rising maternal mortality rate, especially among women of color? Black women being affected the most, but nobody's talking about the fact that Hispanic women is about a sixty five percent increase in mortality. I believe maternal mortality because of the pandemic and everything that went on. And people are like, "Oh, that's because patients didn't seek health care." I'm like, "It's because obstetric violence is rampant in the United States, and that as much as these obgyns like to go out and call out the nutritionist who talks about like seeds, <laughs> seed cycling or something, they should really take care of their home because." I'm like, you're wasting all of your energy because somebody talked about eating carrots and broccoli for your hormones and you're big mad about it because you never had nutrition education. But where is that same energy for the fact that your profession is not improving the rate at which women are dying? That was my big issue with that Nat Geo articles. That was very fear-based. And also, you should be doing an article about that. But that article led me to their other one that was like, was on how hormone imbalance isn't real. Except in the article, they're like, yeah, but diabetes, insulin, that's real. And thyroid, I'm like, yeah, we're talking about that. When people say hormone imbalance, they're patients, they're allowed to say hormone imbalance and bring that to you. And then as a doctor, you don't go, oh, you said hormone imbalance. And my profession hates that. Your job is to be like, explain to me what that means to you. If a patient comes to me and they say, I have a hormone imbalance, I'm like, talk me through that. What does that look like? What makes you feel like your hormones are off? Let's go deeper. Let's meet that person with curiosity. But in that same article, they were talking about fatigue. And they're like, sometimes there's just no reason why you're tired. And you're just tired. And I was like, what? (laughs) Fatigue? Low energy is such a big workup that how can you even say that? Did you check for B12 deficiencies? Did you check for iron deficiency, which is more common than people realize? There's the whole nutrient aspect. Did we check for hidden infections? Did we check beyond just hormones? It can be something else. And that's the other thing that I talk about in the book is that your hormones might be what's manifesting the problems. These are the symptoms that are coming up. But the underlying issue may very well be in your gut or in your daily practices, like how well are you sleeping? What is your stress? It could be in environmental toxins. It can be in these other things. And that is the root cause is what's going on. Maybe the hormones are like the big thing that's catching your attention. They're like the fireworks going off, the flare gun, if you will. But that doesn't mean that we just stop there. And that's why in the book, I'm like, okay, here's what we can do to manage your symptoms right now so that you feel better. Because healing takes energy, healing takes work. And if you don't feel good right now, then you're not gonna do it. You're not gonna fall through on it. And that is understandable. That's why in the program and the protocol, it's like, okay, here's what you can do right now to feel better. And then here is also this extra layer of how do we actually work on the root of this and how and when do you need to see a doctor? and What could be going on? And as we're talking about all of this, I think it's important for people to understand that when it comes to the sex arena, the number of questions I got about sex, once asked Dr. Brighton, I started telling people, this is anonymous. And people, that's when it was like, oh, I'm going (laughs) to ask you all of these things that I would never dare ask my doctor. When I survey people and ask people, why don't you ask your doctor? Shame is a big thing. They have their own shame, but they feel like their doctor is going to shame them. That the biggest thing is, They don't even think their doctor can help them. Why put themselves in such a vulnerable position to talk about sex? We don't talk about sex in our society openly. It's a very vulnerable thing and you have to have a really big level of trust with your practitioner. But why do that if you don't even think they're going to help you? And odds are your average doctor isn't going to be able to help you because they don't receive any education that's even worth mentioning in terms of sexual health. Even your OB-GYN Isn't going to have the level of education that a certified sex counselor like myself or a sex therapist is going to have. And they may not refer you to a sex therapist. In the physician role, our role is to be like, is there anything physiological, mechanical? Is there anatomy issues? Is there something diagnosable that I need to approach? And do that piece, but also to recognize that some things do have a psychological component. That is not to say it's in your head, especially not with pain, but with sex, because a lot of sex is happening in the brain. That is the main place, but it's also happening in partnership and relationships in general with other humans, whether they're your roommate, your bestie, or your lover. They're complicated. They're complicated as it is. It can be that extra layer when it comes to sex. If you've ever felt like you had all these questions, sex had failed you because sex had failed most of us. And whenever I ask people, what do you remember? They're like, "Condom them on a banana and like <laughs> STIs are really scary and never get pregnant because that is bad. It's nothing about pleasure. And I do talk in the book about how Germany and the Netherlands, for example, changed their sex education. We have seen now an entire cohort go into being adults, we have the data now to say it is superior when pleasure and consent are at the forefront of education and not the fear-based model that we have in the United States. Understand that your doctor probably got about the same sex education as you. And in the book, I just wanted to address things that I'd heard over the years, like how many times a patient came to me and they're like, I have pain with sex. And their OB-GYN like, You need lube and a glass of wine. And I'm like, maybe. Lube is a very common issue for people to have pain. And yet drinking is actually going to lead to less lubrication and usually more sexual dysfunction. But that's the information they got in school. I just want everyone to understand, I am not throwing OB-GYNs under the bus. My fertility doctor is an OB-GYN and I love her. And my best friends are OB-GYN. I think there are amazing practitioners in every field. And when I explain to people, is it I'll give you this example. I usually say mechanic, but I just had a horrible hairdresser experience yesterday. <laughs> And it's just in the field, you can have hairdressers and they could go to the same institute and have the same training. And one is just gangster, like the best. Everybody wants to line up and see them. And the other one is completely mediocre. And you're like, how are you even doing what you're doing? Because you did such a bad job. This exists in every single field. The problem in medicine is it's so freaking personal. And sometimes a lot is on the line. And just want people to understand that, that I'm a fan of all types of practitioners, all of them. I'm just not a fan of certain personalities. (laughs) And even then, a lot of traditional
1: education in medicine is not even taught to refer out to these things. You mentioned you being a certified sex counselor or a sex therapist. I have a lot of friends who didn't even know that existed. I have interviewed pelvic floor physical therapist on this podcast. And when I have had other practitioners listen, they go, I didn't even know that was a field. Oh my
0: God. They're like so amazing in women's health. My book, I mentioned them 20 times. I'm like, everybody needs a
1: pelvic floor physical therapist in their life. They knew physical therapy. They knew shoulder, arm, hip, Mm -hmm. athletic sport, whatever, had no idea specifically the pelvic floor. And it can make a world of difference on so many things. Just having the education, for those who are listening, just having this education to be like, that's me. I'm going to do some research into this. Or I am going to ask my practitioner about this. Maybe it just slipped their minds. Oh, actually, I know a great pelvic floor PT. Let's refer you. I didn't even think of that. Because they're seeing 40 some, 50 some patients a day and they just forgot about that one. That's why I love having this as a resource and really openly talking about this because we don't gatekeep here. You are not a gatekeeper, (laughs) No, Dr. Brighton, (laughs) thank you. I share a lot. (laughs) Put it all out there and we want women to know. And as I said, sex is one of the opening paragraphs that you have because it's not often discussed in, I would say, a, a healthy manner, let's say. There's a lot of questions and curiosity. And for those who don't know, Dr. Brighton saw patients for years. I saw where she saw patients. I can vouch with my own eyes. In the space where she saw patients, she got asked these questions in person for years before it was a lot of social media, email, comments, DMs. She has years of collection on this, and it is that important that she put it in the book because, man, just like you, I would have patients who were 15, 16, and I would have newly divorced women in their 60s who would go, okay, I'm getting on the dating sites. What do I need to know? (laughs) I wish now I could go,
0: there's this book called, Is This Normal? You should go read it. The libido one, it's interesting to me, the libido chapter, how often... Depending on the field you are, how my the answer can be. It's a very narrow perspective. If it is, if you've got a physician, it's probably your hormones. And if you've got somebody that's in the psychology field, they're like, it has nothing to do with your hormones. And I really try to address the intersection there because it's both. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. both and together. That's another aspect that a lot of patients, that's one of their chief complaints, the CC, if people don't know what that is, in their chart notes is that they came in and they were concerned concerned. concerned about their libido and that things had changed for them. And there's a lot of things that can make your libido change. And sometimes they're like, I didn't even feel like I could bring this up to their doctor, to my doctor. And sometimes I've had the male counterpart in the relationship being like, can you help her testosterone? Because that's the issue. And I'm like, it's rarely testosterone that is the issue when it comes to libido, unless a woman is also experiencing Issues with muscle mass, mood changes, difficulty setting boundaries, fatigue. It's rare that I don't think I've ever seen it where it's just my only symptom is low libido. Oh, your testosterone's low. There is more going on to that. And that is usually the place where everybody jumps is, oh, we have to fix your testosterone. Now a caveat in that is if you are on the pill, If you are on a hormonal contraceptive, that raises your sex hormone binding globulin and stops you from ovulating, which all of them with estrogen, by the way, is going to raise your sex hormone binding globulin. And if it stops you from menstruating, it is stopping the process by which you are able to have adequate testosterone. And it's interesting because I discussed a newer study that came out showing that women who are on the pill... They didn't study PCOS women, by the way. This is like, just now, if you have PCOS, this is probably not you. But if you have a low libido supplementation with DHEA, it's probably warranted to help with that libido issue. This is why when Nat Geo is like, there's not really any data about low libido. And I'm like, yes, there is. What? There even was a study showing that like, yeah, because it tanks your testosterone, we might want DHEA, the adrenal hormone that is the precursor to testosterone that is our absolute bestie in menopause that starts its decline at age 25 because it's lame like that. (laughs) So I talk about the testosterone piece and like what you can do about it how to identify it. I give you a quiz But I also go into aspects and areas that people don't often think about. If you are having a low testosterone issue, you might also be having a high estrogen issue. And when that comes to libido, we need more studies. We need to replicate this. But there have been studies showing that when estrogen is unchecked and it's up, we tend to be more critical of our partner. Okay, here comes the psychological piece. Because your estrogen is up and you're irritable and then your testosterone's down and your clitoris is like, I could care less right now, your partner... Especially in that luteal phase, they chew too loud and you're like, get out of my life. And that is contributing to the psychological aspect of what's happening in the relationship. And then your partner's like, oh, you're rejecting me. I don't know what's going on with me. And you're like, let's my hormones and what's going on with my hormones? But to also understand that the psychological piece can be affecting your cortisol and your DHEA production, that's going to affect your libido. And in addition to that, if your stress is really high, that's going to start skewing the estrogen and progesterone balance. Yes, they are supposed to be balanced in your luteal phase despite the anti-balanced hormone people. The number of times they contradict themselves in their arguments always cracks me up. I'm like, I'm hearing yourself talk right now. When it comes to the whole component of libido in that chapter, I break down the great studies that we have in the psychology models of the dual control model by Bancroft and Jansen that talk about gas pedals and brakes and especially when you're gifted with those ovaries you're much more sensitive to the environment the things that are brakes for you they can really be brakes for you depending on where you're at in your cycle and depending on how many of those things are impacting you and that can all impact your hormones The other aspect that I want people to really recognize and understand, I talked about this in the book. There's so often where with PCOS, with functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, if a lot of conditions and even no condition, if you don't want to have a baby, a lot of doctors are like ovulation doesn't matter. And yet research has shown us that if you have anovulatory cycles where you don't have a cycle, you're not ovulating you are more likely to experience sexual dysfunction. But because this medicine already does women dirty in a lot of ways in terms of not even diagnosing PCOS and endo and all these things in a timely manner, but because medicine sees women's pleasure is so secondary. As the World Health Organization is like, pleasure is an important aspect of health. And then the American medical system is like, nah, is it for women? Men, we got to get them their Viagra. But for women, is it really... But to understand that onulation is key in all of this and it's sad that we have so little research in women's medicine, but so little research in women's sexual health because we need more data around this. But also the other component is insulin issues. I kid you not. Whenever I talk about insulin issues affecting the clitoris, when we compare it to the male studies, we don't have a plethora of studies compared to what has been studied on erectile dysfunction. And how many people are like, well, there's just not enough evidence to support that in women. I'm like, then riddle me this, Batman. (laughs) If the penis is a derivative of the clitoris, that is, like it decided in utero to take a detour and go penis instead of going clitoris. It's the same exact tissue. and that we know that insulin resistance can lead to sexual dysfunction in men, i.e. the penis doesn't work the way they want it to. And we know that when there's erectile dysfunction, we have to look for cardiometabolic issues. Why would that be any different for women? And why do I have to wait decades for studies to show me that this woman who has elevated insulin and is having blood sugar issues and is also reporting sexual dysfunction is having a real experience? Right. Amen! (laughs) (laughs)
1: And actually, I want to go back to the adrenal part too, because you said you were like, DHA is a derivative from the adrenal glands. Obviously, stress adrenal glands will also affect erectile dysfunction. Going along the same lines of libido, when it comes to adrenal health and stress, I want you to talk on that. Not because I feel like a lot of women get told you're just stressed. Oh, you're just stressed. Oh, you have two kids under five, that's to be expected. I want to take it from a different approach. I want to take it from the type A overachiever who you ask, how are you doing? And they're saying, I'm fine, I'm totally fine. Meanwhile, the house is burning (laughs) down around them where it's harder for them to identify because it's their normal. It absolutely does impact the symptoms, their hormones, all the things. Yeah, I'm definitely
0: this person. I've definitely worked on that. I remember just before the pandemic, if people don't know, I got COVID like so bad, like four months on oxygen, long haulers. It was super dumb. And I still am like big, why? Like why? Big question mark. Because I just feel like we do need more research. And so many people were like, you obviously had issues. Like you had health issues. You had diabetes. I was like, I didn't know my hemoglobin was like 4.6, friend. Like I keep it tight on my labs. I had just done a Dutch panel. It was the first time that my cortisol looked awesome. And then I was like, oh my God, I've achieved it. I've done the thing. I've healed the like too. Oh, but I healed. I should really say, I checked myself enough times that like this didn't happen. And then I got so sick and I was like, what the hell? Because people were like, you must have been really stressed out. And I was like, my adrenal glands were showing different. <laughs> I actually put there, the book is filled with tons of diagrams. I even put... In Beyond the Pill, I did a whole chapter on labor health, which I think, like, nerds love. I'm a nerd. But people were like, oh my God, this is like, wait, why do I have to know all this? I just did a diagram this time to really illustrate if I'm talking about liver and I'm talking about hormones the diagram just shows here's the nutrients for phase one, the nutrients for phase two. Then I put a table in the back. I was like, here's all the food sources of the nutrients and how they help your hormones and how to know if you have a problem. I did the same thing with stress and sleep because I feel like we talk about it all the time, but people are really visual learners, especially in the age. We all are pushed to do reels and we have to be on video all the time now. People can only pay attention for 15 seconds. We put this diagram there showing the impact of stress so you could really see how the stressor comes in how that affects the signaling to the adrenal glands how the signaling from the adrenal glands affects how the brain is going to signal to those ovaries and the part of this was like to debunk the myth of the pregnenolone steal which was something that once upon a time it was the best hypothesis we had is that we were like basically still in one hormone for another it was a good hypothesis at the time it is now outdated now that we have learned better. We have more research. We have to change that. We have to discuss it in a different way. But to actually show that this is a brain-down phenomenon that's happening. I think this is not talked about enough. Then menstruation, ovulation, it's a brain-down phenomenon. The way the pill works, it's brain phenomenon. That's where it's working in your brain. Whenever doctors are like, it can't be affecting your mood. I'm like, but everything's happening in the brain. Like, I don't understand. The same with your adrenal glands. And to understand that even the way you think and talk to yourself can be a stressor and can be inflammatory. And if it's inflammatory and it raises cytokines, that demands a response by your adrenal glands. People so often are like, cortisol is so bad. It gives you belly fat. It ages you prematurely. That sucks. Nobody wants that. And yet it is keeping inflammation in check. It is doing so much more in your body. To understand that if you are the person That's still in the, I will sleep when I'm dead. Whenever patients have said that to me and they're like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) I'm like, you'll get there soon, (laughs) don't worry. And yes, my patients and I have a good laugh of not being mean to them where I'm like, you'll get there faster than you think because you cannot have optimal hormones if you are negating sleep and you're negating your stress. I'm one of those people that has an MAO defect. So if people don't know, sometimes I'm like, it's defective when I get like, you know, my husband's always is like, it's because you're a Latina. You get so angry. It's like, I see. You start fired up and you have to like get that energy down. And i mean like, no, it's because the way that I am built genetically, it's called the warrior gene because we were the bad mofos that if you attacked our tribe, we were out there for three days, not sleeping, not eating, just fighting. We were like, oh, the enemies retreat and we're still running after them. It's been a week. I was watching this TV show and it was like a whole castle. It's The Witcher. Okay, you guys, I'm obsessed. Oh, I love The Witcher. And um, when the castle is being attacked and like the queen goes out and she's a serious pacing and they've been gone all of these days and they're just out there on the battlefield fighting nonstop, not eating, not drinking, nothing. They, all of them, MAO variants, because their cortisol goes up and they're allowed, they're able to keep it around longer. And you may not feel the effect of stress so much because you are wired in a way that it's like, you can handle it. You can handle it. And you're made in that way. Getting amped up and pushing through, studying, God, in grad school, drinking coffee at eight o'clock at night. Like, what a dummy. Like, God, someone tell my 20 something year old self, that was a bad. And I'm studying nutritional biochemistry. And this is what I'm doing to myself. Staying up all night's studying and pushing to all that. And it seems like a really good idea. And society tells us more effort, more reward. No, actually, nobody cares what my grades were in grad school nobody cares. And nobody cares about a lot of the things later in life. I had This reminds me of a friend that I had actually in college who OD'd on caffeine pills. And she had started using them in high school. And she wanted to go to an Ivy League. And it was just like pushing herself so, so hard. And I look at it, I look back at how many times in my life that I've ever pushed myself and realized that nobody really cared. And I didn't get the reward that I thought I would. And this is something I always ask. Patients to reflect on is like the last time you pushed like that really hard, and you pushed yourself to when you finish, you get really, really sick. Vinyls are over, you get really sick, but you pushed yourself so hard to like exhaustion, burnout. You missed out on weddings, you've missed out on like life events, and you've really just pushed that stress. Like, honestly, reflect was the payout what you thought it would be? Was it enough for you? And the majority of the time, it's a no, it wasn't. And then look at the cost. Was it worth the price you paid? And that's really a lot of the change has to happen in retrospect, which is unfortunate. It's learning the hard way because you can't tell somebody who is an overachiever and something like that, oh, this is going to be bad for your health and all of that because their body's like, I'm handling it. I'm handling it right now. But it is that retrospective. And the thing is that I think burnout is talked about a lot more now before and we are given permission to be like, I'm completely burnt out. But what's not talked about in burnout is not just the physical, like my adrenals have been pushed to capacity and all of my hormones are out of whack and I'm not feeling good and all of that. Yes, all that physiological stuff, like my libido is gone, my relationship is struggling, but the joy in life, the fact that you are missing out on time that you can never get back, it's not talked about. Losing joy in something that used to bring you joy Losing the ability to have the energy to do the things that make you happy and put a smile on your face. Burnout and what happens with our hormones is so much more than a missing period, is so much more than being tired.
1: Yes, I love that you said that at my desk that is opposite this room as we, I interview you. It says healing happens at joy. I have a plaque up that says that because they feel the number of people lately, let's say in the last several years, where you ask that question, do you feel joy Mm -hmm. when, if they don't think about it, their initial answer is no. And one of the other things that we've superficially breezed over, we've been talking about this, is accessibility and budget. And that's a big one for you. And at the back of the book, and I have it open right here, you have a 28-day program. I know women listening to this are like, that's me, I'm burned out. I'm having hormonal issues, my libido is gone, I don't feel good, joy isn't what it used to be, but also I don't know that I have the time, the space, or the budget. How do I get my life back? And one of the great things is that you routinely, again, we've been friends a while, I follow you on social media, I know that you bring it to multiple levels so that everyone has access to trying to heal. And get their joy back get their groove back as we wrap this up i want you to touch on this the 28 day program parts
0: because what i don't want is
1: people to listen to this and go okay that's me now what (laughs) yeah
0: absolutely in the 28-day program we start with you identifying like what is your particular hormone issue going on i give lifestyle nutrition and supplement recommendations for each of those And I want everyone to understand you need to give yourself at least three months of trying anything because what happens today affects your cycle in the next two to three months. I started my period today. Everything I do today isn't going to change ovulation that's going to come in the next two weeks. That's, yes, I'll be helping things along, but it won't be a complete game changer. Understand that things should get progressively better as you bring things in, but you will not 180 things. It is not like oh, I get migraines and every time I just take a pain med and then my migraine goes away. It is like, I want to work on these at the root level and you might still need a pain med. (laughs) Like you still might need it like the next month. But then subsequently after that, things should improve. I give you a whole list of lifestyle things and it's not to do all of the things. It's to identify what could you add in? What is most meaningful? What could have the biggest impact? And to help you reflect on Where are you maybe shortchanging yourself that you should really put some attention into? And then I ask you to journal that and to follow that and basically be your end of one experiment because in the context of your life, that's what matters most. Research studies, great, let's take that data. But when you apply it to the individual, Their response is what matters most to them. There's the lifestyle factors. Then there is the nutrition factors. And that is definitely one. My goodness, the number of times that I've had medical doctors call me this, they're like, she's obviously an elitist telling people to eat broccoli sprouts or to seed cycle. And I'm like, I'm giving you the most economical thing. Tell me you don't know anything about food without telling me because (laughs) seeds are super cheap. And I always love when they're like, she's just trying to make money telling you to seed cycle. I'm like, yeah, because me and the flaxseed farmers are like <laughs> in on it or telling you to eat organic. I'm like, oh yeah, all of the people we know who are dying, working in the fields and getting reproductive-based cancers because of these chemicals, because I care about them too. Okay, anyhow, I digress. Broccoli sprouts, I talk about those. You could sprout those. I have had patients in college dorm rooms sprouting them in paper towels and eating them. Super economical. <laughs> We're talking like 69 cent packet getting you by like of seed. And I really try to layer that in. If people don't know this about me, I ate some government cheese in my time. I've been on food stamps. I did not come from a background in which... I never had to experience food insecurity. Food insecurity definitely happened for me. And I was born to two like teenagers who were doing the best they can. I think it's important for people to understand that whatever doctors are like, you are just come from such a privileged place. I'm like, man, I don't wish actually because it really has shaped how I practice and being aware that not everybody has the same access to food. I don't know if you ever did rotations at Outside In. I did a lot. Yeah. I think that every doctor should have to work in community clinics. And with this, for people who don't know, this was a homeless youth clinic. I spent two years there and I'm so grateful for it. Like learning harm reduction, how to meet patients where they're at, people not knowing the anatomical terms of their vagina and being able to have that conversation, educate them, but also not shame them about that. But really, these are kids that are living on the street. What can we do to help them have the best health where they're at? Through all of that, that's where my recommendations come from of be, trying to be accessible at any level. Wherever you're at, know you can absolutely take steps towards your health. Something when we start talking about environmental toxins that I discuss in the book, right away, I see a lot of people online are like, throw out all your product, your skincare product. I'm like, this stuff is expensive, you guys. Yeah. But they're like, throw everything out. Do, and I'm like, Look, if you can start doing just two things, take your shoes off at the door and air out your house once a week, you are far ahead of the curve and you're having a major impact. And how often people are like, oh my God, like I can do this, I can do that. And that's what's important to me in the program is the stuff that actually matters, the stuff that moves the needle and then layering it. So that if you do get to a position where you're like, Hey, I do want to. I'm at a place where I want to add in supplements. You've got this great foundation and you can do that as well. In the program, I take you through. So the book is split up. We've got your sexual self and we've got your cyclical self. We've got all the sex talk and we've got the hormones. And if you just want one or the other, the book works for you. Okay. You can go one or the other. And in the program, I marry them together so that you can understand how your hormones are affecting you, how just. Normal cycles can affect your libido, your ability to have an orgasm, your arousal, your relationship with your partner, and in the program, I take you through what are exercises and things that you can do. Maybe you're someone that's I've gone through, and the book's been out long enough, and this has happened where people are like, "I've gone through the program, my hormones are doing way better." I'm going back through it now, man. The sex stuff. And my sex life is getting a lot better. And I'm actually understanding myself so much more. And that I think is phenomenal to see somebody and is what my dream is as an author is having a resource you can go back to over and continue to create change and improve your health and have every aspect of your body. And as a womb holding, ovary touting card holder, address and not being. Just relegated to reproductive health, which is what we see so often. And there are lots of us who are either never wanting to have kids, who can't have kids, who are done having kids. And we don't need to be talked to just about this is how everything works with the idea of you should be ovulating and getting pregnant. And we're more than that. We are absolutely more than that. Oh my gosh. Dr. Brighton, her book,
1: Is This Normal? Tell everyone where they can find you, where can they order the book, how can they follow you, your website, all the things.
0: I love it when you support indie bookstores because they are just the unsung heroes of the literary work. But I also know that like sometimes we live places where Amazon's the only option. So you can get the book those places. You can also request it from your library, either for yourself or for someone else who doesn't have the means to buy the book. So it's available when they need it, when they learn about it. Support our libraries, everybody as well. And then you can find me all over social media. My main hub is drbrighton.com d-r-b-r-i-g-h-t-e-n.com tons of free resources there to help you wherever you're at on your journey from trying to get pregnant just had a baby in very menopause menopause or never wanting a baby we've got you covered there and then all over social media it's at dr jolene brighton
1: love it amazing thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on today and being so open as usual, so expressive, so educational with everyone who's listening. Because again, this is my passion. I know it's your passion as well, to have everybody educated, empowered. These are the things we didn't learn. I didn't learn them. I grew up in Kentucky. I didn't learn any of this when it
0: came. I grew up in the mountains, friend. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) Zane.
1: So to be able to have you on to have your books as resources is just absolutely phenomenal. Thank you again for being on the Root Cause Medicine
0: podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and for everyone who's listening. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening
1: to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.